Oral questions by members? Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, Mr. Speaker, every day there is another catch and release horror story. Tyler Newton is a violent, prolific offender who was convicted in the unprovoked fatal knife attack of an unsuspecting stranger on a bus. This is a dangerous high-level criminal, high-risk criminal, currently facing charges for aggravated assault and assault with a weapon. Newton has in the past blatantly and repeatedly disregarded release conditions, but shockingly, he was once again being released and is out in the community. On the weekend, the government made it clear that the Crown prosecutor agreed with his latest release, and there was no attempt by this government to keep him in custody. A complete indictment of the incoming soft-on-crime Premier's broken system. Mr. Speaker, to the Attorney General, why was Tyler Newton's right to reoffend more important to this NDP government than the right of the community to be safe? Attorney General. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. We obviously share the members' frustration with this horrific act. We share the understanding that this cannot continue, and we are taking concrete steps to address it, not just within the prosecution service, which, as the member knows, is an independent branch of government making daily decisions, 500 talented people who choose uh, what to do in certain circumstances are governed by the criminal law of Canada and the Charter of Rights. But, Mr. Speaker, there are unintended consequences of the Bail Reform Act of, of 2019. We're working with our federal partners to address that, and we're working with local governments as well to take the steps necessary to deal not just with the crime, but the causes of crime as well. Member for West Vancouver Capilano, supplemental. Mr. Speaker, that answer is simply not good enough. Newton has a long and appalling criminal record with 51 convictions. He's described in parole documents as someone with, quote, consistent disregard for the law, pro-criminal attitudes and values, and a high-risk and high-needs offender who has not mitigated that risk. He is a violent, prolific offender who has a history of blatantly violating release conditions, yet he faces no consequences. He has been released again because of the incoming soft-on-crime Premier's catch-and-release program. This is exactly why we have called for the NDP to issue a directive to Crown prosecutors that puts the rights of the community safety ahead of the criminal's right to reoffend. So, Mr. Speaker, to the Attorney General, when will the NDP scrap this incoming soft on crime premier's catch and release system that keeps violent, prolific offenders like Tyler Newton out on our streets? Attorney General. Well, I thank the Honourable Member for the question. We are, of course, examining all concrete measures, all programs that might make a difference, Mr. Speaker. As the member knows, we commissioned an independent report that made 28 recommendations. Those recommendations are being examined very closely to see if we can come up with a comprehensive response. Mr. Speaker, it's important that we know that social investments need to be made so we can deal with the offenders as individuals. There was a program called the Prolific Offenders Man 
management program that managed to cut this uh, repeat offending by 40%. The former government chose to cut it. We have reinstated that program. Mr. Speaker, in addition, there are a number of important programs that will make a difference on the street. Peer-assisted care teams with mental health experts to try to deal with those people who were suffering mental health or uh, the, the consequences of addiction. Mr. Speaker, we are, we, we are spending up to $114 million in the last budget to have 500 people housed in complex care housing, which you, is, is something that was recommended by the experts. We also are making sure that people who are released from our penal institutions have wraparound services for not just 30 days in the past, but now 90, day, 90 days, and for every single uh, correctional facility in the province, this program will be applicable. Mr. Speaker, when they were in government, the opposition did none of those things. We intend to continue doing that in partnership with local government and with the federal government. Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, Mr. Speaker, the incoming Premier spent much of his abridged leadership campaign bragging about the wor his work as a legal advocate at the Pivot Legal Society. In fact, he even said that his work at Pivot Legal Society was, quote, formative for his political career. Let's look at that legacy, Mr. Speaker. This could it be the legacy of the book, How to Sue the Police, that the incoming Premier wrote? Or perhaps it was his legacy around suggesting that perhaps police forces had too many tax dollars going for them, which continues on today in the Pivot Legal Society. And the Attorney General just referenced the prolific offender program that the Attorney General called aggressive policing tactics. That's what the incoming Premier referred to that program as. And well, last night, Mr. Speaker, we saw that legacy on full display. When Menakshi Minot, from the incoming soft on crime premier's own pivot legal society, blamed the RCMP for the tragic murder of Constable Yang. I'm going to quote Mr. Speaker, and it's, it's a bit of a tough quote to have to read this out, but it's important. Is it possible that this officer was killed because the RCMP has a racism and misogyny problem that doesn't protect young, racialized women in their ranks. What does Stop Asian Hate look like inside the oldest boys club in KKK Canada?" End quote. Some legacy, Mr. Speaker. Will the NDP government condemn these disgusting comments and their connection to Pivot Legal? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the, uh, the question uh, from the Honourable Member. Um, let me be clear. That individual, whoever they are, does not speak for anybody on this side of the House. In fact, I don't believe they speak for anybody in this House. And quite frankly, Given those comments and other comments I've heard from some of those individuals, they don't represent anybody other than a small group of people who, have, who are just completely, in my view, out to lunch. What I can tell you, though, Honourable, Honourable Speaker, is that we have an Attorney General who, from the very day he was sworn in, started tackling some of the challenges that we've been facing on the, uh, 
on the criminal front in this province. Whether it's money laundering, which went on in this province unchecked, Honourable Speaker. Whether it was recognizing after discussions with mayors that there needed to be changes, that, there, that, that what was happening in communities was working together with mayors to find solutions, which was the Lepard Butler report, of which 28 recommendations, three of them are already being implemented, Honourable Speaker, including the one that he thinks the, uh, the Premier designate does not approve of, Honourable Speaker. We're all in support of those initiatives. Every single one, every single member on this side of the House. I just hope that that side of the House will be on, on support of the work that we're doing to stop the challenges that are being faced by communities. North Thompson, supplemental. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. But the reality is that the incoming Premier is incredibly close to Pivot Legal, and he's bragged about his work with them throughout his very brief campaign, a brief campaign that he didn't actually talk about the Lepard report. So in fact, despite what the Solicitor General says, this side of the House and the public don't actually know what the Premier-designate thinks now about the prolific offender program. We only have his work during pivot legal days to base that on, and his failed five and a half years as the Attorney General where crime and violent prolific offenders spiked in this province. Just Friday, he said that his work a pivot legal was trans or formative for his political career. Now, as he's getting ready to transfer in as the Premier, after 2,000 days as the Attorney General, all we saw was an ever-increasing street disorder under his failed catch-and-release system. Now he's asking us to believe, the incoming Premier, and it sounds like the Solicitor General, that after 2,000 days of inaction, he will do something in the next 100 days Let's hope it's do something more than just release the second edition of How to Sue the Police. Mr. Speaker, why doesn't this government act now instead of delaying yet another 100 days for political reasons while in Vancouver alone four people a day will be randomly assaulted in that same time frame and end the Premier-designate's failed catch-and-release system? Solicitor General. Thank you. Uh Honourable Speaker, I appreciate the question from the member. I'll just make a, a few brief observations, Honourable Speaker. This Attorney General took action on money laundering on the very first day that he took office. He did not do what, uh, what the opposition did when they sat on this side of the House, and one of their first priorities was to close courthouses around the, around the province. How does that help the justice system, Honourable Speaker? How does that help the justice system? Did he cut funding to... Uh, to, uh, to sexual assault centers, to community organizations that supplies, bring supports to victims, Honourable Speaker, like they did when they sat on this side of the House? No, Honourable Speaker. We saw the funding for those things increased. When mayors came and said, we've got problems with, 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 with uh, social disorder and, uh, and, and, and increasing uh, criminal activity in our streets, he said, look, we want to work with you on what potential solutions are. That's why that report was commissioned. That's why those recommendations were put in place. That's why recommendations are being implemented. And one of the key things in that report is there needs to be changes at the federal level. We made sure that that was put on front and center on the agenda in Halifax with justice ministers from right across the province, Honourable Speaker. So I know one thing. I'll put my money on the incoming Premier when it comes to dealing with law and order and ensuring our streets are safe and anything that's like the House of Commons. 
Leader of the Third Party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. Bill C-22 is making its way through the Federal House of Commons right now. The goal of this legislation is to ensure that people with disabilities are not living below the poverty line. But the Federal Minister of Disability and Inclusion, Carla Qualtro, says it may be a year or more before the benefits to people with disabilities start to arrive. In an interview over the weekend, Minister Qualtro indicated that she is encouraging the provinces to step up and fill the gap to ensure that funding to people with disabilities is there so that nobody has to be poor because they are disabled. My question through you is to the Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. Will he step up and immediately raise the rates for people with disabilities so they are no longer forced to live below the poverty line? Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. Uh Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I truly appreciate getting a question uh, to deal with issues around poverty in this province. Not because there's not more work to do, but it gives me an opportunity to say how much we've done already and shows, as an example, how much more work we plan to do uh, to address the ongoing issues. But as we all know, this is the government that introduced the poverty reduction strategy that included a number of measures across government to address the issue that had been ignored under the previous government. When it comes to supporting people who are living with disabilities, I'm proud to say that this was the government that introduced the Accessible BC Act. This is the government that reversed a trend from the previous government of not increasing disability assistance rates. We've, in we've increased disability assistance rates three times in five years. And yes, we have more work to do. With respect to the federal government legislation, we have a lot of questions about it. We don't plan to do things differently. We plan to ensure that people who are living in poverty get the supports they need, and we continue to expand those supports. Leader of third party, supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. It will be cold comfort for people with disabilities to hear about how much has been done already. Let me speak really plainly. The current disability assistance program undermines the human rights of British Columbians with disabilities across this province. Many who rely on disability benefits are living in abject poverty. In my constituency, we have heard dozens of stories from people with disabilities who are forced to make impossible choices on a daily basis, choosing between paying their bills or their rent, buying groceries or buying medications. When one of my constituents was evicted through no fault of her own, she was unable to afford the increased market rental rates and could not access timely support through BC Housing. She was forced to seek shelter in local motels, quickly exhausted her insufficient person with disability benefits, and she went for days eating only rice because she could not afford groceries or access local food banks. The cost of living is breaking records. Rent, food, fuel prices, medication, people everywhere are struggling to stay afloat. And for people with disabilities, they're expected to live on $16,300 a year. My question is to the Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. Will he increase disability rates above the poverty line in BC? Minister. 
I thank the member for the question again, and uh, our goal is to continually improve the system of supports for people in this province. Uh, the increases that we implemented uh, affecting people on income assistance and disability assistance um, were welcome. We did not claw back any of the benefits that people received during the pandemic, unlike any other province. We were, we were well known to have uh, uh, provided the most support for people in the province uh, of any other jurisdiction in Canada. And that is, the, that is well documented and in fact our approach will be to continue to take steps necessary to address the gaps. And I acknowledge that there are challenges, people are living with challenges because of uh, uh, worldwide inflation. We understand that that's impacting everybody and that's why we will be continuing to find ways to ensure that people living on disability or on income assistance have the supports they need from this government. Member for Surrey White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over 15 months ago, the health minister announced he would improve ambulance response times. Things have gotten worse, not better. When Surrey resident Allison Dorchester suffered a spiral fracture, she was forced to lay on the ground in excruciating pain, waiting for an ambulance for four hours. She was lying in pain, screaming in agony, while her family pleaded on the phone for help. Our healthcare system has collapsed, and stories like this are happening every day. There needs to be accountability, and that accountability needs to start at the top. Will this health minister do the right thing and resign? Members. Shh. Members. Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. What we are doing is taking substantial action in urban BC and in rural and remote communities to increase the number paramedics, to ensure we have full-time paramedics and not a, a system dependent on casual staff, which it was in 2017, to give the largest increases of any area of health care other than mental health and addictions to the ambulance service, to add ambulance paramedics, to increase training, to increase the number of ambulances, to increase the number of dispatchers, all of which we have done. What we are also seeing in this period of two public health emergencies is a dramatic increase in the number of ambulance calls. In fact, Honourable Speaker, the increase in the last few years, what are called purple and red calls, the most serious calls, has increased by 27%, dramatically above, indeed four times more, what one would expect with respect to the increase in population growth and an aging population. I think our ambulance paramedics do an extraordinary job, and we need to continue to take action to address the situation everywhere in BC. And I want to express, of course, Honourable Speaker, when people hear about cases where people didn't respond quickly enough. We appreciate that and we respond and we investigate those cases every time. But I would acknowledge the exceptional work of our ambulance paramedics and the work we have to continue to take together to ensure we're, we're building the ambulance service we need to meet increasing demand in the future. Member for Surrey White Rock Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and nobody is disputing the job that is being done by the paramedics in this province. What people are taking exception with is the job that is being done by this health minister. 
Minutes matter, and in British Columbia, when you need an ambulance and call 911, you should be comforted by the fact that that ambulance will show up in a timely manner. And that was not the case for a woman who collapsed with a seizure in Surrey at the Shoppers Drug Mart on the weekend. Instead, when her, when her friend called 911 to report a stroke, it took an ambulance over an hour to get her and get her to the ICU. Day after day, we hear stories about this healthcare system collapsing. Accountability starts at the top, and I will say it again. Will this minister do the right thing, be accountable, and resign? Minister of Health. Uh, Honourable Speaker, um, I would say, Honourable Speaker, that what we need is a government that supports our ambulance service, and that's what we have, Honourable Speaker. In 2010, under a previous health minister, now the leader of the opposition, they stripped away in an action, frankly, of political retaliation, the right of ambulance paramedics to bargain and support one another. We restored it, Honourable Speaker. In 2017, 30% of ambulance paramedics were full-time. That number is now 55%. We've dramatically increased resources in the number of ambulances and the level of training, and we're going to continue to do it. We have been working hard with our ambulance paramedics, with our dispatchers, and with our team to do exactly that. I think what the public wants is action, Honourable Speaker, and that's what we'll continue to provide. Member for Caribou-Chilcotin. Well, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Certainly, uh, the residents of this province are looking for action, but what matters to British Columbians are results and outcomes. Every single part of our health care system is in crisis, but there's no accountability from this minister. And if he keeps his job, it's obviously more of the same from the soon-to-be premier, who has yet to have a single idea on health care. Mr. Speaker, he has been campaigning for months and hasn't presented a single health policy idea, not one. Meanwhile, the system collapses and people are suffering. On Saturday, hundreds gathered on the front lawn of this legislature as people came to talk to family doctors and get advice. Providing field medicine under a tent like something out of a war zone that should not be the state of our medical system. Mr. Speaker, it's absolutely unacceptable. Will this health minister finally do the right thing, accept responsibility for his government's appalling failure to deliver the health care that British Columbians need and resign today? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. Um, uh, I would say, Honourable Speaker, that what people require is the kind of commitment to public health care that the government has shown, Honourable Speaker. Uh, from the time I've been Minister of Health to the present, there are 38,000 more people working in the health care system, not as the Leader of the Opposition calls them bureaucrats, but nurses and doctors and health sciences professionals delivering a high level of care and service. We are in the midst of two public health emergencies in BC, the overdose public health emergency and COVID-19, which continue to profoundly affect our system. In spite of that, Honourable Speaker, for example, in the last recorded week, the end of September, we completed 7,200 surgeries in that week, which is a record for that week 
in the history of British Columbia. We continue to deliver a high level of service, and there are challenges. And that's why in the area of primary care, because I think that's what the member was talking about in his question, that means providing new-to-practice contracts that have been welcomed by resident doctors in BC and signed in record numbers, Honourable Speaker. It means working with the doctors of BC to change the way in which we, we pay doctors and remunerate doctors in BC so that patients can get better access to care. It means raising standards in long-term care from a record of abject failure, Honourable Speaker, to a record where we meet the standards we as a government set. And Honourable Speaker, it means treating healthcare workers with respect everywhere in BC and allowing healthcare workers who've worked decades in the healthcare system in many cases to get, again get access to pensions. That is a record in which we can be proud. And our determination is to continue to make improvements to face the current challenges of public health emergencies facing our healthcare system. That's what I'm going to continue to try and do. Member for Prince George Wilmont. Well, I'm sure the Health Minister knows that every day that he stands up in this legislature and fails to acknowledge that the health care system in British Columbia has collapsed has an impact in the field. We've heard story after story, day after day, of people who are telling us, and I know that members on the opposite side of this house are hearing it too, they have never seen it this bad. That's under this minister's watch. And let's just look at some of the items on the list. We have a million people in British Columbia who don't have a doctor. Dozens of specialists sent this minister a letter, and he was warned that there are massive delays in patient referrals for specialists. Radiologists then spoke up, and do you know what they said? I know the minister knows that they are expecting a tsunami of late-stage cancer cases. Not my words, the words of radiologists and specialists, not to mention nurses who are exhausted, they are burnt out, and they are demoralized. And every single day when this minister gets up and refuses to acknowledge that every single piece of our health care system is in crisis, that's on his watch. That is his responsibility. And every time he tries to look in the rearview mirror, he should look in the mirror. It is up to this minister today to acknowledge the failure to deal with specific actions in the health care system. So will the minister have the courage to do the right thing today, to stand up and acknowledge the mess that our health care system is in under his watch, do the right thing, and resign? Minister of Health. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honourable Chair. And uh, I, I think I would say a couple of things. Firstly, as I've said, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen times in this house, our healthcare system is in crisis. We've been in two public health emergencies, and we have been for six years in one case, and two and a half years in the other. And we have been responding in British Columbia with extraordinary action in both cases. The largest increase in building out a system of mental health and addictions on the one hand, and on the other hand, our collective response, our collective response 
to the COVID-19 pandemic, which by world standards was extraordinary. The member talks about radiology. In 2016-17, there were 174,000 MRI exams in BC, 174,000. In the Northern Health Authority, where the honorable member lives, there were 22 per thousand. That was a third as much as Ontario. That was their record. What have we done, honorable speaker? Well, in that health authority, we more than doubled it. That's what we did in that health authority. And so when radiologists say we need to do better, absolutely so. But when you go from 174,000 to 296,000, when you increase the number of CT scans by 200,000, those represent people getting care sooner, the diagnosis they need sooner, and we're going to continue to do that. Member for Prince George-Ville Supplemental. Well, thank you very much. I'm not sure what the Minister then is saying to specialists in British Columbia who are concerned that people will die on a wait list. That's what they said. Radiologists said that people will find out too late that they have late-stage cancer and have the likelihood of dying in British Columbia because they cannot access medical imaging. We have emergency rooms that have closed dozens of times with short notice, sending people to communities whose hospitals are also overflowing. We have hospitals on diversion. We have healthcare workers that are absolutely at the end of their limit. That is on this minister's watch. And perhaps the organizer of the rally on Saturday. We've had nurses on the front lawn, doctors on the front lawn, families on the front lawn, all trying to get this minister's attention. Here's what the organizer of the rally said on the weekend. And the minister can stand up and simply pass the numbers along. These are real people with real issues that he continues to ignore. Here's what the rally organizer said. And I quote, we are frustrated to continue to see this crisis go unabated by this government. We need change now, end quote. The change should start at the top. British Columbia cannot afford more of the same. Will the minister do the honorable thing? Stand up, admit that it's time for a change that starts with him and resign. Minister of Health. Um, more, more thoughtful comments from the Opposition Health Leader, leader uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, I, I just want to say that when we talk about uh, the numbers of people who have received more care since 2017, it's made a real difference in lives. I, I understand the Opposition would be uncomfortable with the fact that on MRIs and CT scans, we are near the bottom of the problem. It's radiologists. And we're talking about radiologists, Honourable Speaker, and, and they and everyone else would, would acknowledge that when you go from you know, the bottom of the country to the top of the country, and comparing with other jurisdictions, when you go from 174,000 MRI exams to 296, when you add 17 new MRI machines to the public system, Honourable Speaker, when you add, Honourable Speaker, 
medical imaging, I don't think a radiologist, all of that work done by our extraordinary radiologists in BC. 174,000 exams to 296, every one of those exams, every single one is important to patients, Honourable Speaker, every one of them is important to radiologists. We've delivered 120,000 more than they were in 2017, Honourable Speaker. We went from near the bottom to near the top, and that demonstrates our commitment to public health care response to the issues facing our country. The balance question period.